Our text for this morning is found in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. And we take verse 7 as our text. Matthew chapter 5 at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. These words in their context, as the Lord would be pleased to help us as we meditate on his truth. The title that we give our sermon this morning is True Happiness for the Truly Merciful. True Happiness for the Truly Merciful. The only perfect preacher who ever lived continues his perfect sermon. The sermon he began with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A sermon that took place on a hillside outside Capernaum. A sermon that drew great multitudes to come and hear Christ's teaching. Some of them, we believe, had come from over 200 miles. The closing sentence of chapter 4, and from Judea and from beyond Jordan, the far southeast of Judea, over 180, perhaps 200 miles, they had come to hear this sermon. And as Christ continues his sermon, it becomes more and more challenging with each text that he presents. He's only preached four texts, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, and already we see great weight. We see his perfect wisdom, and we see that truth that he is laying before his congregation. We know that he is addressing primarily, from verse 1, his disciples. When the word of God is preached, it's for everyone in the congregation. And we pray it would be blessed to every soul in the congregation. But primarily it is to his disciples, to the Christian, to Christ's ones, those who belong to Jesus Christ. And the best sermons, they will search the soul, they will touch and warm the heart, and they will also stimulate the theological intellect. And because Christ is the perfect preacher, he does all this and more. And he begins in the first three Beatitudes by saying that his disciples must possess these graces to be truly happy, to be blessed. But then in verse 6, the tack changes. And now he says, his disciples, my disciples, must be doing something as well with those graces. They must be hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and now they must be demonstrating merciful conduct. So that should immediately trigger self-examination in this congregation, in this preacher's heart. Do I possess these graces, and what am I 
doing with them. Am I, as in verse 3, am I truly humble? Verse 4, am I truly mourning over my sin? Verse 5, am I truly patient? Am I truly teachable? Verse 6, am I truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after the things of Christ? Because only by doing so will I know blessedness. Will I be truly happy? So the question for us this morning is, am I truly merciful? More doing. You see, the bar just keeps getting higher as Christ addresses his disciples. But Christ does not do that to discourage. He doesn't challenge his disciples in order to drive them away, but to draw them to him. The word of God is not designed to drive sinners away. It is designed to draw sinners to Christ. His words are intended to motivate, to stir up his disciples, to pursue and cultivate these graces. And for those who are yet unsaved, for those who are strangers to grace, to see the great liberty and salvation that is found in being one of his disciples. And to go and seek that mercy, to go and seek him in faith. That's what the word blessed means. It means happiness. It actually means blissful. The Greek conveys it's to be to be enlarged in the soul, an enlargement of soul. And in this sin-sick, perverse world, who this morning would not want to be truly happy? To say, I found true happiness, Christian happiness in God's word. So let's look at three things that our text presents to us this morning. First of all, we need to understand the meaning of merciful. Three M's for the children, easy to remember the headings. First of all, the meaning of merciful. What is it to exhibit merciful characteristics, this mercy that Christ is preaching of that brings through happiness. And it's not love. Love and mercy are closely linked, but this is specific. And one man captures the subtle distinction between the two very well. He says, love is a friend that visits you when you are well. Mercy is the physician who visits you when you are sick and needy. So that helps us immediately see the main thrust of what the meaning of this merciful characteristics is that Christ is teaching. And it's perhaps got four aspects to us to help us understand. First of all, most obviously, it's to care for the needs of others. Christ is saying, for my disciples, for the Christian, true happiness is found caring for the needs of others. In other words, you're not selfish or self-centered. You have a soft heart. 
You have a warm and tender and caring disposition. When you see the need of another, you are touched. But that leads to doing something. It leads to doing something to try and alleviate as best you can the need that you have observed in that individual, to ease their needs, to ease their wants. And it can be needs of any kind. And in our own day, there is a multitude of needs. It could be those who are enduring physical illness. It could be those who are enduring financial difficulties. It could be those who've had a bereavement. Those who are low in their souls, low in their spirits. Those who are enduring, enduring emotional distress. Those who have family problems or family difficulties. Those who have addictions. Those who are enduring sore providences. Christ says we're to show mercy to them. To all those that God puts in our path in providence. Be merciful to them. You'll find true happiness. But it's perhaps got another strand as well, and that is to care for the reputation of others. You see, it goes far beyond just visiting someone when they're sick. To be merciful is to be merciful towards someone's reputation. What are other people saying about that individual? I'm having none of that. I will defend the good name of that person. I will defend the reputation to others, to my family, to other Christians, to the world. I will speak well. I will speak kindly. I will speak mercifully. And I will refrain from spreading gossip or speaking ill of that individual. It's in us, isn't it? It's there, the old man. Someone's doing better than us. Someone's more successful. Someone's more godly. Someone's more able. Someone's praise better than us. Someone's wiser. Someone's more intelligent. And the bitter spirit starts bubbling in the heart. Christ says, be merciful for the reputation of others. And you'll find true happiness, true blessedness. The third strand is to bear the offenses of others. That's what it means to be merciful. Closely linked to the previous one. But the merciful man will bear the offense caused by others. Even if it's unjustified. He will bear the slander rather than reproach the other. A merciful man will bear that offense rather than instinctively retaliate in kind. Is that not what we read in Colossians? Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. The high bar. The merciful man will be possessed of a forgiving spirit, not a stubborn one, not vindictive. The fourth strand 
is to care for the souls of others. Now, there's true mercy. The Greek word for mercy conveys compassion, pity. The Christian is maligned in our own day. You don't need me to enlarge on that. And the world doesn't realize that you speak of someone's sinful conduct not out of hatred or misogyny or racism or any other ism that trips off the tongue. You speak to them of their sin because you have a merciful spirit. It would be the cruelest thing that you could ever do to a human being is to ignore their sinful conduct and leave them on the broad road that leads to destruction. You must hate that person. Not to point them towards forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. What a great mercy it is for a brother to reprove you of your sin in mercy and in love. The merciful man will speak of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus for the souls of sinners. That's the meaning of being merciful. We could perhaps summarize, it's having a charitable spirit, it's having a forgiving spirit, it's having an evangelizing spirit. Now, I would imagine, as I did when, you, when I'm preparing this sermon, that you feel the biggest hypocrite. You hang your head in shame and say how unmerciful I am when you measure yourself against Christ's standard. How many times in the week just ended have I demonstrated unmerciful conduct to another? How many times have we been like the priest and the Levite who see the man by the wayside in need and pass by on the other side. Because remember the question that Christ asked, who is this man's neighbor? And the response, he that showed mercy. And then Christ raised the bar really high. Go and do thou likewise. Be doing. Do it then. This is the meaning of being merciful. We see, secondly, the motive for being merciful. Now, this is important because much of the conduct, apart from perhaps the fourth strand of being merciful in speaking to people of their souls, the other three can be equally evidenced in the unregenerate. The world are very good at being kind and compassionate to one another. And sometimes the world puts the church to shame, puts the Christian to shame, because they find it far easier to be compassionate and merciful than the Christian does. But remember, Christ is addressing his disciples. He's addressing those who are his own and those who are his own will have a distinguishing characteristic in their internal motive for demonstrating these acts of mercy, for having this merciful disposition. 
And Christian mercy is that disposition, that state of heart, which originates from a personal experience of the mercy of God to them. They have first received mercy from God, and they know of that mercy. And so, therefore, their motive is to be as merciful to others as God was merciful and is merciful to them. The motive is because they know themselves to be utterly unworthy recipients of any of the mercies of God. And so this motivates them to be merciful to all others that they encounter. The Latin for mercy helps us understand a little better. It's misericordia. And it actually literally means a miserable heart. Cardia, cardiology. You have a miserable heart, a heavy heart, a heart that is touched and pained at the misery of others because your heart has been made new. Your heart has been made tender, compassionate, full of pity by the exercise of God's grace in that heart. It's not some soppy, sentimental human emotion whereby they massage their own egos by doing works of great mercy and then telling everyone on social media what they've done. Christian doesn't do that. Christian's motive is very different. What's the mercy of God that Christ's disciples can speak of and know of in their hearts? Well, mercy comes under the, the goodness of God. You know your catechisms, children. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. He is wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Mercy comes under God's goodness. Love, grace, mercy, and long-suffering are the attributes of God's goodness. And mercy can succinctly be summed up as in God's compassion and in God's pity, in his mercy, he withholds that which we truly deserve. And we all deserve God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. But in his mercy, he withholds that which we truly deserve. So that tells us two things. That tells us, first of all, that this is a, a conscious and deliberate determination in the eternal mind of God to direct mercy on that individual soul. It's not arbitrary. It's not whimsical. It's not an impulse. It's foreordained from all eternity that God would demonstrate compassion and mercy on that soul. But it also tells us something that helps us understand the motive for being merciful is that this isn't leniency as man sees mercy, turning a blind eye and ignoring wrongdoing. God's mercy is just. God's mercy is perfectly righteous. 
And we sang of that in Psalm 85, all the attributes of God in perfect harmony on the cross. Truth met with mercy. Righteousness and peace kissed mutually. This is a just mercy that God shows to his own disciples. So we can see that Christian mercy is it's true grace because it originates from that work of grace in the heart. And so the disciple seeks at every turn to be merciful to others. That's his motive. Because are we not exhorted? Be more like Christ. Be renewed in the image of him who has created you. Mercy is a Christ-like attribute. Mercy is an attribute of God. So the more merciful the Christian is, the more he is aspiring to be like the one through whom he has received God's mercy. After all, do we not seek to imitate Christ? And there was no one more merciful than him, more charitable, more forgiving, more evangelizing. We might sum up by saying that the motive for being merciful is our own gratitude to God. Jeremiah tells us in Lamentations, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How many of us woke this morning saying, I should be damned to hell for my sins. But I wake anew to God's mercies because of the work of Jesus Christ. They're new to me every morning. None of us deserve salvation. So that should motivate us to be more merciful to others. We see thirdly and finally, the merits of being merciful, the meaning of merciful, the motive for being merciful, and the merits of being merciful. Now, we don't want to confuse you. We refute the heretical teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, who teach that there is to be Mercy found with God by doing works of mercy. We know that to be a blasphemy, a heresy. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, Paul tells us in Galatians. Salvation is by grace alone. God's mere good pleasure. But... Our text clearly tells us that there are blessings to be found for those who know the meaning of being merciful, who are motivated in the correct way, who are Christ's disciples. Happiness, blessedness is to be found. They shall obtain mercy. What does this mean? 
Well, there's perhaps three aspects to the merits, to the blessings that flow from God to his people when they are truly merciful. And the first is practical. There's a practical blessing to be found in being merciful. And it is quite simply that it is more likely that someone who you have been merciful to will return that mercy to you when you are in need. None of us know when we're going to be visited by a hard providence, an illness, in our families. Because God uses instruments. God uses second causes. He is the great uncaused, the first cause of all things. But he uses instrumentality. He uses men. He uses his people to bestow mercy on one another. And if you remember acts of great mercy and great kindness, you will more likely be merciful to that individual when they experience traumas and difficulties in their lives. It was said of Thomas Cranmer, the, the great English reformer, he was renowned for being merciful and kind and compassionate and patient. So around him, this proverb grew up and it said, do Cranmer a great injury and he will be your friend for as long as you live. Or for that disposition to be merciful to others. So the merits of mercy, first of all, are practical, but they're secondly, they are present blessings. You see, we are not merciful to earn mercy. We know we cannot. We are merciful because God has first demonstrated mercy and we have received mercy from his hand. We must treat others as God has first treated us. We treat others with mercy to continue the mercy that we have received, we have obtained from God. Notwithstanding our sin, notwithstanding our unworthiness, God showers his mercies daily upon his people. Do we not call them his sparing mercies? He spares us in his sparing mercies. If we are spared and well, spared in what? Spared in God's mercy. But the present blessings also come in supplying mercy. He supplies our every need. Spiritual, he supplies our every need physical. He may not supply our wants, but he will most certainly supply all our needs, our every need. And not only will he supply, but these present blessings are that he will sustain. Sustaining mercy from the hand of God. Oh, we may sink. We may sink very low. But we'll never go under. Because of God's sustaining mercies. What great, pleasant blessings in obtaining continual mercy from God. It's like, a, it's like a reservoir, isn't it? 
a flowing stream coming from heaven, from God's merciful hand, extending his mercy to us as we sang. Oh, do thou extend thy mercy to us. And the more that goes out from us, the more room there is for God to fill. The, the, the outgoing makes way from the incoming, and that constant flow prevents what? Stagnation, selfishness, being insular. One man says, in acquiring a habit of mercifulness, a man gains likeness to the merciful one. We grow in grace. We become more like Christ. So we have practical blessings. We have present blessings, but there are promised blessings. Future promises in the life to come. Those who have obtained the mercy of God in this life, Oh, it is promised to them that they will know the mercy of God for all eternity. They will sit at the feet of the merciful one. They will sit at the feet of him through whom they have received mercy, and they will forever be hearing of that mercy. Why is Jacob loved? Why is Esau hated? Why out of God's mere good pleasure am I sitting before the throne of Christ? The gracious bestowal of Christ's mercy ensures that they will be promised blessings in heaven. And those who have known the mercy of God in Christ Jesus will be somewhere where they have no right to be in the presence of the merciful one. Is it not an astounding thought that heaven is full of sinners? Sinners who have known the undeserved mercy of God in Christ Jesus. What a promised blessing. And what a promise it is that we read in Matthew 25. If you are one of his disciples, and you have been merciful because you know the mercy of God, and you know happiness in this life because you are truly merciful, what will you hear from the lips of the merciful one? He will say, come. Come, ye blessed of my Father. There's the promised blessing. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. We often quote the first part of the text. Don't we come ye blessed of my father. But here are all the reasons. In other words, you have shown mercy to others in your life because you love me. You're doing it unto me. Every cup of cold water, every good deed, every hospital visit, every challenging of sin, every prayer, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it because you love the merciful one in whose presence you will sit for all eternity. Because if you've done it unto one of the least of these little ones, you've done it for Christ. 
And so now you will enjoy eternal happiness, true blessedness. True happiness for the truly merciful. We've looked at the meaning of merciful, the motive for being merciful and the merits of being merciful. We conclude with this. One man says, I am now convinced more than ever that the first and finest flower that blooms on the tree of a righteous Christian life is the grace of mercy. For in that mercy, the Father sees the fairest reflection of the face of his son, Jesus Christ. Whether we agree with him or not, it is a a profitable thing to consider all these different beatitudes. Which is the most important? Which is the most challenging? Are there eight beatitudes? Are there nine beatitudes? Profitable things to ponder. But what this man, I believe, means is that when God looks on a merciful disciple, when he looks on a merciful Christian, he sees the mercy of his own son reflected in that conduct. That mercy that Christ has to sinners, which the Father has purposed, which Christ has purchased, which the Holy Spirit applies. We're going to sing in closing some verses from Psalm 145, wonderful, encouraging words for those who are truly happy, truly blessed, that convey to us the the delight that God has in showing mercy. He is rich. He is plentiful. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. In mercy he is plenteous, but unto wrath and anger slow. So for the Christian this morning, for his disciples who have come to hear Christ preaching this perfect sermon, this is all the incentive you need, surely to repent of your unmerciful conduct to others and to pray for grace to be more Christ-like in demonstrating greater levels of mercy to all those who require it from us because we know God to be compassionate and plenteous in mercy because we have received plenty. But for the unconverted, oh, what an encouragement these words that we shall sing in closing. What an encouragement for you to hear the preaching and to sing in closing that God is slow to wrath. He is slow to anger. He delights to show plenteous will. Well, if he delights to be compassionate, if he delights to be merciful, seek it. Plead for it. He waits to bestow it. If we all desire to be truly happy, truly blessed, it comes down to this. 
we must have a personal saving knowledge of the mercy of this personal and merciful Savior. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word often rebukes. Thy word often challenges. But thy word always reveals thee to be a God in whom plenteous redemption is to be found. Thou art compassionate. Thou art pitiful as a father. And we pray that thou would be merciful anew to us this morning for the lack of mercy that we have displayed the lack of compassion and the lack of pity which we have for one another and for a perishing, sin-sick world. We need thy grace, and we need grace for grace. May we ever mention and ever remember the loving kindnesses that thy people have been unworthy recipients of, and may it motivate us afresh to be possessed of charitable spirits, of forgiving spirits, and have an evangelizing spirit. Bless each one in our own needs. Remember the unconverted among us, we pray. Oh, and how thankful we are that thou art slow to wrath. Thou hast given them another day to repent. Thou hast not plucked them from the scene of time to hear those solemn words, depart from me, ye cursed. And may we in mercy, those who are thine own, give thee no rest until their souls are safe in the hands of the merciful one. Forgive our sins in the holy things. Bless thy word, we pray. And forgive our iniquities, for we ask all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.